Jesus. All right. Um, this morning, I want to speak to you from Luke 12, verse 32. This is not out of the lectionary passage for this Sunday. This is the passage that I'm going to, I want to read from. Uh, Luke 12, 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. Or out of the voice translation, it says, My little flock, don't be afraid. God is your Father, and your Father's great joy is to give you the kingdom. Now, I, I, the reason that I, I chose to go with this passage is this. Uh, Donovan and I had a great time away. Uh, we're, you know, in exotic, beautiful places I've only dreamed of being, and there I am, uh, enjoying this time away, and yet I'm hearing news that's coming, and it is, it's, it, you know, it's not things that I'm intentionally uh, trying to, to it just just stuff that's filling up the news, and the reports that were coming were the kind of reports that over the last couple of weeks, even during times away, that have wound up causing me to lay awake at night. And um, I, so I, I just I felt like this is one of those times that it is important to speak to uh, some of the challenges that, are, were, that we're faced with. Today is Pentecost Sunday, okay? And again, out of, out of some of my tradition, this is a Sunday that we want to take to remember, to celebrate the, the coming and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And if I could say it this way, the, the great hope and reality that God has said, and, and Jesus said it this way, it's your Father's good pleasure that I've given you the kingdom, which means there's a whole other way to live. And yet, in our face... Week after week, we see something else. And here's what I don't want us to do is to act like we don't see what's happening. Okay? And so I want to speak to some of those things, when, especially when, when in, you know, over like less than a week time period, there, there's just the unimaginable violence that occurred in our nation. And then I read about reports that are occurring uh, within the church, in a place where there's supposed to be great trust, uh, the injustice and the, uh, the, the violence that occurred has occurred and has been suppressed. And I, I just, my heart, I mean, I was just laying awake with some of this. I'm like, God, when, when will this end? And so um, the, the words that, that came to my mind are from a, a great old tune. It's an older tune. But uh, you may or may not be familiar with this great, wonderful band, but um, the, the, the song starts out this way. It says, I can't believe the news today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? How long must we sing this song? How long? Tonight, we could be, we could be as one, but broken bottles under children's feet, bodies strewn across the dead-end street. But I won't heed the battle call. It puts my back up against the wall. It's Sunday. Bloody Sunday. This band is referring specifically to some very specific times in history. 
But the, let, let me just finish. The, the lyric goes on and says, the battle's just begun. There's many lost, but tell me who's won. The trenches are dug within our hearts, mothers, children, brothers, sisters torn apart. How long? How long must we sing this song? Bloody Sunday. See, it's, it's, it's Pentecost Sunday, but yet I'm quoting the lyrics of a song of the great band U2, um, Bloody Sunday. Because the unfortunate reality is there have been multiple days in history that were labeled Bloody Sunday. It, the, the first one that I'm aware of began January 22nd, 1905. Orthodox priest, uh, Father Gapon, Gapon uh, was leading a signed petition by thousands in St. Petersburg to the Tsar's home because he was convinced that the Tsar was unaware of the desperate conditions that workers were facing. And as he's leading this, this unarmed group of men and women to, to share with the Tsar the plight of workers, they were met with the military putting them down in violence that killed over 200 people. March the 7th, 1965, Selma. Nonviolent protest being led by the voting rights movement of Selma. Unarmed marchers beginning to cross this bridge. Actually, from the moment that they crossed the county line, were, led, were met with billy clubs and, and, and tear gas. And it was when, it was when a, a news reporter zoomed in on one of the organizers, Amelia Boynton, laying on the ground, beaten to death. It was again named another Bloody Sunday. January the 30th, 1972, perhaps this was the day that, that U2 was referring to when a demonstration of Catholics seeking justice against the violent conflict in Northern Ireland were met by paratroopers opened fire on them, killing 13 of them. See, I, I mean, you could go through all kinds of these moments in which the, 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 the reality of these, you begin to see these things that you think it's unimaginable. And how long? I, I just can't close my eyes and make it go away. Here's what hit me this last week. I mean, I, it's 2022, and I'm living in what is supposed to be a free country, and men and women are being hunted down because of their race in the nation I live in? Children being hunted in their classrooms? Women not being able to be safe and cared for in the church? And I mean, just the sheer horror of it, these unimaginable acts of injustice, of violence, and, and the, 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 the question that lurks in my mind is, I just thought, Lord, we're going to have to speak to this again. How do we say yes to you and say, God, give us an, an imagination for your kingdom, but the ability to understand we want to say no to injustice? 
Remembering it was you, Jesus, who said it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So that's the title I've given the message this morning is saying yes to Jesus and no to injustice. Amen. I, there's one of you guys on the call. I'm not sure who. I won't try to figure it out. But one of you guys, if you can mute, that will be helpful for me. Um, one of the, but one of the first things I want to say is this: that as you begin, to, it, you know, we one of the, and I'm, I'm going to get to this in this message. Begin, I, what I'm sharing right now, by the way, unfortunately, I'm, I, I shared most of this about three years ago. And it breaks my heart that here we are again. So, I, I just, I, for me, it feels like a moment of saying, okay, I need, and we need to be reminded again. How do, what, what do we do? Because one of the first things that we can begin to do is we begin to fall into what I'll call are the, uh, the talking points that we're being fed from one side or the other. You, you guys ever, you know what I'm talking about, right? This is the side of the argument I'm going to argue on. This is what needs to be fixed. And I, I'm going to get to this here in just a moment. But see, part of the difficulty with this is this, that many times when we see them, we, we want to identify what's wrong out there. All right, is everybody hearing what I'm trying to say right now? It's out there. And, and we're trying to give it a name and personify it. So first, the first thing I want to personify and make very clear is that we need to recognize what actually is happening in front of us. Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, which means there's actually another kingdom at work. Is everybody hearing me? And Jesus identified it. John 10.10, 10, it's the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and guys, you do not have to look far. You go walking into places and hear reports of things that have occurred in the last couple of weeks, you see hell. That is what it is. That is hell at work. It is the imagination of hell. It is the hatred of hell. I cannot give a rational explanation that would possess humanity to display this kind of hatred towards other humans without understanding that the devil, Jesus said in John 8, verse 44, is a murderer from the beginning. He hates every image bearer on planet Earth. You need to identify it for what it is. This isn't just a thing problem. There actually is another kingdom at work. Is everybody hearing me? His hatred for humanity has found expression throughout history, and we can, you know, and again, don't dismiss it, but recognize it. All right, that's the first one. How do I respond? Number one is I go, oh, my word, this is over the headlines. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there is such a thing as evil, and it hates humanity. How do I respond? In our struggle to make sense of these things, we often are trying to find something or someone to blame. I think I've shared this before when I was a chaplain. The first several months of my chaplaincy, you know, I would be like running to ER and I'd see this 50-year-old dude who had had a massive heart attack and I'd make this little note to myself, ah, pay attention to what you eat so you don't wind up like that. Now, I never said that out loud. But, you know, it, it, the horrific car accident, remember to drive defensively, always put on your seatbelt. The motorcyclists, my kids are never driving a motorcycle. By the way, that rule still applies, kids. 
Um, all of that worked until I had this situation that I faced that I couldn't find something to blame or someone to blame. But, but, but see, this is what we tend to do when we, we're faced with difficulties. And, and the press tries to do this with us. Let's figure out something or someone. Now, there's things that we've heard that are, that are to blame. Now, some of them, by the way, can I just say this, need to be identified and dealt with. So let me be clear about this. I, I, don't, want to, I, I don't want to hear that you me, me saying that we dismiss it. We need to deal with them. Racism. We need, to, we need to deal with the actual reality that there is racism in our nation. And it's been perpetuated. And, and, and then what about gun violence? Okay. Just a sidebar note. I don't want to spend too much time on Doesn't there seem to be a little bit of insanity about the fact that I have to show my license and sign off for my Sudafed when I'm having a sinus problem? And a blind person can buy a gun? That's actually true. It doesn't make sense. Um, what about, you know, I mean, we can go through a list of different things. What about all the, you know, media violence that's going on? Yeah, yeah, you better, yeah, you know, maybe we ought to take a look at this. Glamorizing violence. Yeah, we probably need to, to take a look at that. And my, my point is, I want to be clear that there's a place and there is a place for civil, civic discourse to engage in the fight, to stand against injustice, and I want this to be very clear. The kingdom of Jesus is opposed to all forms of evil and injustice. End of sentence. Now, I alluded to this a little while ago. Here's the problem for us. How do I respond? How do I say yes to Jesus? Here's, here's my first invitation, and I alluded to this earlier. We need to resist the temptation to, to always want to point and make it out there. See, as long as we keep it out, you know, just get rid of the bad guys, the bad policies, Whatever, whoever we deem them to be or whatever we deem them to be, to be, how do we say yes to Jesus is actually when I discern that part of the problem is here in me. Now, because I actually believe that, I do believe there's a way forward to the kingdom of God. Uh, a friend, Ben Sternke, I want to quote what he said on this. He said, here's what I mean. This is God's world, and he's present. He's active in it. He's setting everything right through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are his church, filled and empowered by his Holy Spirit uh, to be about the Father's business. It was Dallas Willard who said, humanity remains God's project, not ours. And his initiatives are always at work among us. So, I'm identifying there's evil at work, and wait a minute, I need to take a look at where that actually maybe has some work in me. So, what, what's the first thing I need to do is the very first thing Jesus invited everyone to do, repent. 
Jesus arrives in his ministry, and, and this is, you've heard me repeat this theme so many different times, but he arrives in a very, in a time where there's an incredibly oppressive, violent empire. And, and here's what I want us never to miss and always pay attention to. Jesus never started a political movement. He didn't start his ministry by calling out oppressive, broken social structures. And there were lots of them that degraded women, that, gave, uh, that degraded certain classes of individuals, races of people, that, that used the, the, where the powerful were using the weak. All of those things were in huge operation during that time. Jesus arrives, Mark 1, 14 and 15, the time is fulfilled. It's a Kairos moment. Here's what you need to do. Repent. The first invitation of Jesus to his followers, and he continues with the consistent call, repent. Jesus seems convinced that the primary issue that needs to be dealt with is not out there, but here. I think we need to be as well. God begin with us. Hollywood, point finger, no, 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 Lord, begin here. Jesus' brother, James, puts it this way. I'm going to read it from the message translation. He says, you know, what do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. You lust for what you don't have. You're willing to kill to get it. You want what isn't yours. You risk violence to get your hands on it. You won't think of asking God for it, would you? Or why not? Because you know you'd be asking for what you have no right to. You're spoiled children, each wanting your own way. By the way, that's James 4. Repent. Um, you know, when I, I first began to think about this problem of racism in our country, I remember as a young lad growing up, you know, you guys know a lot of my story. I grew up, my parents immigrated here in 1950. I immigrated to the United States in like 60, what, wait, let's see here. I came here in 65. I, uh, I became a citizen in 70. Um, one, I believe. Six years. So, yes. Anyway, the point is I'm a naturalized citizen. So as I'm growing up in grade school, I remember individuals looking at me and saying, you know, who do you think were treated the worst in America? The Native Americans or the African Americans? And I'd be like, I don't know, I didn't, you know, I didn't have anything to do with that. And, and, and see, the thing is, I, I, then, then I began to, in, in the movement, of the prayer movement I was a part of, I began to hear this problem being talked about, you know. On Sunday mornings, there's this huge gaping problem in, that's manifested, and it shows up in the church. It's, it's where we have such a divided church, and it's very clear. But here's the deal. The truth is, I kind of had this dismissive response, which was, don't look at me. My folks came on the boat well after all that happened. I didn't have anything to do with that. Quite literally. Not responsible for the evil of slavery or for how Native Americans were treated. And I remember sitting on a bus on a way to a prayer gathering with a group of pastors. And I've got this pastor who's an older, you know, seasoned 
African-American leader. He was there to kind of give leadership to that prayer gathering. And I'm just telling him sort of, you know, I said, ah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get humble and deal with this issue. I just don't know quite how to deal with it. And he said, you know, he started trying to tell me his stories and places that he'd been. He's a pastor from uh, uh, Camden, New Jersey. And, and he's talking about how he had taken a trip to East Africa to one of the slave trading ports with some of his white brothers, and they, they went into where the, to the very place where men and women were sold and began to just pray and seek forgiveness of one another in, at the very place where much of this began uh, by the, in, at, at the largest slave trading port of Eastern Africa. Or, sorry, West Africa. And... Uh, and I'm sitting and listening, and he said, and it was, and, and he didn't say this, he didn't like point it out, he just said it as a normal, he said, in the, this, this port that was run by the Dutch. And I said, and began, kept talking, and I said, wait, rewind the tape, what did you just say? I felt the blood running out of my head, you know, like, I've had this dismissive posture, and it was, it was my heritage that actually ran the slave port? Yeah, you didn't know that. He was very loving with me. I hadn't realized at that moment that I had chosen to dismiss and deflect the present pain of my black brothers because I was so sure that my heritage had no part in their pain. Now, again, I don't want anybody to mishear what I'm saying. I, my family didn't you know, own the ports. They didn't run the ships. But here I am, a white man born to Dutch mom and dad. And I had to come to grips with the fact that I grew up in a system that had given me advantage and multiple others massive oppression and disadvantages. So... Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that I feel like I'm to blame for all of the evils that have crushed others, but I do believe repentance is recognizing any system apart from the kingdom of God is a system of power that is not a reflection of God's kingdom. Therefore, I need to repent. Not just feel bad, but change the way I think. Is everybody following what I'm trying to say there, right? See, the way that we begin to cooperate with God in the renewal of all things is to repent. Repentance drains us of our defensiveness and our self-sufficiency, and it makes way. It gives space for a new kind of life that can only come from God. Romans 5, verse 18, through the sin of the one man, the many were made sinners. Now, I'm not blaming or deflecting, but here's what I want us to see. We all have mindsets that have been informed by something outside of the love of God. And it gets glamorized. All around us. Ooh, look at that. And I can give all kinds of examples of it. But I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Mindsets, I don't care how glorified they might be, how sanctified they might be, or lifted up, or people accept them, if it's outside of the love of God revealed in Christ, I need to repent from it. 
Any way that I have chosen to make life work apart from God needs to be repented of. The Declaration of Independence. Wow, that sounds really good for a republic, but it's bad theology. In the good news of the gospel, I declare my dependence on the work of Christ for all things. So repentance isn't just, I feel bad. It's like, oh, I need to name and identify the roots of independence that then have roots many times of violence in me, which means if I don't get my way, I will power up. Oh, wait, what is that? That's the roots of violence. Anything that has set itself up against the true knowledge of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, must be torn down. So part of the simplicity of repentance is owning a full-throated admission. I'm powerless to make it right in my own strength. Flesh profits for nothing, but the words that Jesus has given are spirit and life, and I want to surrender to them. Jesus' invitation was repent. Number two is that his invitation is that we believe. Well, what do we believe? Through the sin of the one man, the many were even sinners, but through, the, through the, the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. So, where sin increases, grace can abound. Beloved, I have great hope and imagination for the world around me, not because of a change of political policy, although there are policies that I believe need to be changed, but that the grace of God can abound. That is more, far more powerful than any policy or army. It's the grace of God. The grace of God that is broader and deeper and able to restore, redeem, and renew. See, my prayer has been like, Lord... Remind me of Romans 5, that through the obedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. God, that you would find me in agreement that where sin stuns me, grace would overwhelm and control me. Where I'm laying awake and I'm hearing those words over and over again, the confession of a dear woman who's been abused by a man that she should have been able to trust, and those words just are haunting my brain. And I'm like, Lord, well, that stuns me. Remind me, let grace overwhelm and control me, that the love of God would compel my life and, and lead my life. That nothing, no one has fallen beyond the reach of the grace of God. His grace is greater because it is a system based in covenant love, not in a religious contract of duty and obligation. And it's based in his loving kindness that he says is never going to cease, his compassions that do not fail. Therefore, as it says in the book of Lamentations, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. We have hope this morning, beloved. Repent. Believe. Then, number three, I need, to, I need to be quick. Number three is to stand. Jesus' brother James says, uh, he gives us greater grace, therefore says God is opposed to the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Beloved, standing is, let, let, me, let me make something clear. I, I've, I've heard a lot of teaching about uh, putting on the armor of God, you know, Ephesians 6. And many times I've heard that teaching 
in the context like, you know, therefore put on the full armor of God so that you might be able to stand and after having done everything to stand. But I've heard it contextualized and taught in such a manner that you put on the full armor of God and you get to go out and kick Satan's tush. Can I remind us of something? That's already been done. Okay? So I'm putting on the spiritual armor of God not to win a battle, but to stand. What am I doing? What am I standing? I'm standing in agreement with Jesus. I'm not doing some new battle. Push back. I'm standing in agreement with Jesus and his posture. Jesus' posture is humility. Jesus' posture is love. Jesus' posture is standing and demonstrating love and saying, here it is, not here, not now. I'm not agreeing with that system. I'm proclaiming there's another system. Love it to stand doesn't mean that I get to be bossy and and get to shout. It means I actually get to stand in humility and love. That's the fourth thing I want to throw out. Okay? We repent, we believe, we stand, but we we proclaim the good news that there's another way to live in the love of God revealed in Christ, in a kingdom that's ruled by love, where I can stand comfortably and say, I already have a king, and he's good, and he's kind. So watch this. I don't get to choose who I will love. I don't have to choose who I will love. I've been invited to love. And to connect with people who are not like me. And who actually don't like me. And what I stand for. Amazing. You know, Jesus, Jesus in his ministry is, is, is just tenacious. And he's curiously, he's connecting with the weak and the vulnerable, the misfits, the outsiders. And and people that others would have likely blamed for their problems, but he's connecting with them. Repentance, beloved, looks like when we begin to move towards those who we are most tempted to make our enemy and love them. Because that's not what I do naturally, (laughs) okay? Naturally, I'll be driving down the road, somebody does something, I'm like, you know, it still happens once in a while. I ask my son. We're driving down the road. He said, Dad, what's the deal? I said, Dad, did you see how they drove? No, see, still in there. Lord, help me. But, beloved, when we proclaim the good news, see, Jesus, I want you to think about the, the life of Jesus comes in humility and love. He, and he be, what does he get as a result of that? He becomes the object of violence and hatred and doesn't reflect it back. He actually absorbs it and proclaims the love of the Father in self-giving, self-emptying love on the cross. That's the gospel. And then he says to his friends, don't be afraid. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you a kingdom, a whole other way to live. So I want to close with just giving these proclamations over us this morning. This first few of them are from my friend Ben Sternke. 
Don't be afraid, church. It has been a rough week if you have done any absorbing of the news at all. Don't be afraid to reach out, to connect with those who are hurt and angry. Don't be afraid to grieve with them and feel their pain. Don't be afraid to confess and repent often. Pastors should be able to be trusted. It's wrong. Don't be afraid to love when you'd rather sneer. To welcome when you'd rather condemn. Don't be afraid of what others may say. Don't be afraid of awkward conversations. Don't be afraid of being marginalized and misunderstood by the powerful if you stand in solidarity with the weak and the vulnerable. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in love, saying no to violence and hate while letting your heart be broken by it. Don't be afraid to wade into the sea of heartache that is our broken world and open your heart for God is always present and at work. His grace goes ahead of you and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. I want to come back to the some of the final lyrics of U2's song. Tonight we could be as one. Wipe the tears from your eyes. Wipe the tears away. I'll wipe your tears away. I'll wipe your bloodshot eyes. It's true if we're immune when fact is fiction and TV reality and today millions cry, we eat and drink and tomorrow they die. The real battle just begun to claim the victory Jesus won on Sunday. Bloody Sunday. Beloved, it's Pentecost Sunday, but there's a new day, and that's what we proclaim on Pentecost Sunday. There's a new day and a new way. Say yes to Jesus in the face of injustice to proclaim the justice of the cross. Amen? Amen. I want to invite us to close in this prayer. Would you guys stand with me? Bring us to communion. Let's pray this prayer. This, this comes, it's a prayer for reconciliation. It comes from the uh, a prayer community in Ireland. Let's pray this together. Where there is separation, there is pain. And where there is pain, there is a story. Where there is a story, there is understanding and misunderstanding, listening and not listening. May we, separated peoples, estranged strangers, unfriended families, divided communities, turn toward each other and turn toward our stories. With understanding and listening, with passion and acceptance, with challenge, change, and consolation. Because if God is to be found, God will be found in the space between. Amen and amen.